Hello, and welcome back to Talking Tomlet. I'm one of your hosts, Jordana Osband, here with my friend, Chavruta Ann Gordon. Our daf today, Masachet Yevamot, daf Chavbet, page 22. We're going to get to a new Mishnah soon, but before we get to that Mishnah, there's a very interesting passage about the status of converts and their relationship to these this category of Shniot, of the secondary, uh, you know, ervo or forbidden relationships. I'm really Rabbi Rav Nachman. So Rabbi said to Rav Nachman, so did the master see this one of the sages who came from the West, meaning came from Eretz Yisrael, who said in the West, they asked the following question. And so the question they asked was, were these secondary relationships forbidden with converts or were they not forbidden? Now, what this is really talking about here, and this is an interesting thing, is that when somebody converts, they basically are no longer related to their family anymore. What does that mean about all of the Orias, about all these forbidden, uh, you know, relationships? So if a whole family, extended family, got together and decided to convert, right, they are technically not a family anymore, according to Jewish law. And so there- I think this is probably the single biggest- legal fiction, so to speak, right? Meaning it's a legal truth, but it, you know, changes the reality, so to speak, compared to everything else, like selling chametz, prusbal, like all of these other legal loopholes and things like that have nothing on your no longer yes, siblings. I agree. I think this is when you say it out loud, it's very stark. So Rav Nachman says, right, so he says to him, well, with the forbidden relationships themselves, right, were it not for the fact that basically converts, right, who, who become Jews, will we say that they now are allowed to basically sort of be permitted to relationships that were forbidden to them as, as non-Jews? Because remember, non-Jews still have to abide by the seven Noahite laws, one of which is these forbidden relationships, right? And we would say uh, that they would basically, uh, they went from a state of sort of more Kedusha to a state of lesser Kedusha. In other words, Rav Nachman's saying, Rabba, this is a crazy question. There's no way that because of this sort of legal fiction, as you called it, right, that technically they're not considered related because they they left behind their old family. And now they're part of, you know, B'nai Yisrael, that somehow these relationships would be permitted to them, right? We wouldn't say that they were sort of going from Kedusha Hamura to Kedusha Kala. So the sages would not have, so basically, then the sages would not have decreed to prohibit these relations. In other words, without this gezerah, without this gezerah of the rabbis, right, it would have even, it would have been permitted for a convert to basically even marry a closer family relative, right? And so therefore, what it's saying is, is that it was, it's necessary, right, it's necessary that the Chachamim basically also had to extend it uh, to the secondary relations. And so part of what Rav Nachman is saying is, is that part of the reason why Shniot were made into a, uh, a thing was because of this issue with converts. I'm a Rav Nachman, so Rav Nachman said, Gerim, right? So he says, since we have this issue of converts, right? And their relatives come, come at hand, right? So let's discuss this a little bit. So now they give another area of halacha where this may be an issue. So what we see is Rav Nachman, you know, is making the point that the secondary arayos are going to be a problem. 
But when it comes to ADUS, you know, that we sort of were very happy to rely on the court. I think what we're basically making a distinction between is that, you know, when it comes to Arias or family relationships, that's something that takes place in the community. We can't have any nuance. The, The parameters need to be very clear. Whereas when it comes to something like ADUS, uh, you know, testimony in a court, the court can have nuance. The court can sort of figure this out in a very different way. And therefore, the halakha is going to be different when it comes to this issue of converts and the relationship to their previous family in these two different areas of law. And I think it's interesting because often we see that we try to be consistent, right? What was true in one case is true in another case. And here, for reasons that make very logical sense, we see lack of consistency. We're really willing to say one case is one case and one case is another case. And therefore, the way that that halacha plays out is actually very different. One in the public domain, one just in the, in the court system. And, uh, you know, fascinating to see how they sort of take these two different uh, approaches uh, with this issue of, of Geirah. Right. I think also, you know, for example, there's no emotion. I mean, that doesn't mean the person doesn't have feelings, but there's no um, expectation of emotion in the same kind of way when you're talking about the court system. For example, I do know converts, let's say, who, um, you know, are adults and they've lost their parents and so on. And technically, Shiva isn't a thing, but that doesn't mean that there isn't any mourning, right? They're, they're still feeling the loss, at least the people that I know, um, you know, it's not that they cut ties on the human dimension. And so the emotion is very much there. Um, and how to handle that gets complicated. And, and it, I think that this is one of the things that is just truly an awkward situation within, within, you know, Judaism and the way it relates or doesn't relate to other, shall we say, um, you know, those who are not within the camp or even have come to join the camp, but I still have ties to outside. Um, okay. I'm going to try to tackle the next Mishnah here, which is at the very bottom of the daf, of the Amud, rather. And as we've observed in the past, you know, the same way that there's a discussion on the in the Gemara on this page about, you know, half-brothers and so on, so now we're going to talk about brother relationships in the Mishnah. And I've said this before, that it seems that there is, like, a logic here in the thematic or content uh, side of the das that the Gemara leads into this Mishnah. And of course, we know that chronologically speaking, the Mishnah was, you know, at least um, orally set in stone, so to speak, meaning it was not set in stone, but it was orally formulated, you know, long before, you know, there was a mis- there was a Gemara to, to comment on it. So the setup of the daf again, like it's so thematically beautifully uh, woven together, I would say. And on the other hand, it's a little bit deceptive because really the mission comes first. Okay. Meaning anybody who has, somebody has a brother of any kind, any kind of brother, meaning whether it's from, uh, you know, from one side, from a paternal half brother or from a maternal half brother, or if there's, you know, if they, if he's a mom's there, if it was the child of Yibu, meaning any brother, right? Um, the moment some a uh, person has a brother, when that first person then gets married, the moment A has a brother B, when A gets married, then immediately there is this yibum connection, zikat yibum, between the new wife 
And that brother, however that brother comes to be a brother, in the event, meaning it's it's kind of a latent zikat ibum, because if the brother, you know, has children, then it's not an issue. If the brother doesn't die, it's not an issue. Like, there's so many ways for yibum to not be a factor. And yet this this bond between the wife and the brother is kind of inherently quietly there. Um, now we've got the exception. It says that somebody who's got a half brother from where the mother of the brother is the shifra is a non-Jewish maidservant or really just a non-Jew in any way, meaning minagoya. That's not a servant status. It's just the fact that she's not Jewish. The moment these two brothers have different mothers and the mother is not Jewish, the mother of one of them is not Jewish, then they are not considered brothers in this issue of Yibum. Similarly, somebody who has a child of any case, the very fact that there is a child, right, would exempt the wife, the, the wife of his father, which, you know, might actually, cannot be his mother, right, because that's the, that's the issue, right? The, the, how do we say this? The mother, his, the mother to be the widow of his father is his mother. So she's got a child. The father is a child. That's not relevant. But Eshet Aviv, meaning there could be another wife who they they don't have a child in the second union, let's say a co-wife, whatever. Still, that child from the first wife still exempts, um, you know, cancels out the need for Yibum um, for that woman as well. V'chayav amakato v'alkilato and that child, meaning, again, a child of any kind, any, you know, whatever the lineage is, even if he's a mom's there and so on, um, then that child will, um, has all the laws that pertain to a child with regard to a parent, meaning not cursing the parent, not hitting the parent, the punishments that come with that can be capital, right, depending on the circumstances and so on. So, so that child is considered a child, right? In in all cases, so to speak. That's what that means, right? He's, he's, the child is the father's child for in every case, in all respects. Except for the child who was born from, again, from a non-Jewish maidservant or from a non-Jew. Because the, not only do they not have the status of siblings, right? Not only does a different maternal... Um, relationship specifically for non-Jew doesn't not does it cancel out the sibling relationship it also cancels out the parent relationship from the father this I think is even a little bit harder to understand as much as a sibling relationship um you know can't it, it seems strange to think that you could just dissolve it by virtue of you know parentage or con conversion or so on in this case at least there you have some decision making in this case the very fact that the child is born to a non-Jewish woman means that the father is not the father either, which is a complicated halachic conundrum. Um, okay, I think so that's that's the mission. It's, you know, on the one hand, it's got just a few key details, and on the other hand, the whole backdrop of it is rather uh, puzzling, troubling, food for thought. Um, and I think from here, we'll lead on to the discussion of Mamzer, which is, Yerdina, I don't know if you know about this, but it happens to be that on the day that we're recording, there is a massive conference going on in Jerusalem about the status of, of Mamzerut in 
in Israel and the Rabbanut and, and things like that. So I thought, there's your nice nister in case we hadn't had one in recent <laughs> We haven't had days. one in a while, free of us. That's for sure true. <laughs> but this was like so perfectly planned. You know, like you couldn't have planned the conference better for the DAF or the DAF better for the conference, That's except for amazing. that most people are not aware of one or the other. But yeah, so I think we should just do the beginning part of this Gemara, right? So the Gemara basically wants to ask, Right, the statement that a brother of any kind, right, that that's what the Gemara says. What does it come to include? It comes to include a mom's or brother. It's, well, that's obvious. It's his brother. <laughs> you might have thought, right, you might have said, okay, we need to draw an analogy, right, basically from the word brother, which is used in Yibum, to the brother, which is used with the children of. Uh, Yaakov, just like the sons of Yaakov, uh, you know, were kasher and not pasul, right? Nobody was a mamzer. So here too with Yivum, uh, they need to not be pasul. We come to learn otherwise, right? So the Gemara says, and is that the halacha? And the Gemara continues here to give this answer and says, that when it comes to uh, Yibum, right? If the husband basically, you know, if this man basically had a child who was a mamzer, right, he would basically exempt. In other words, his wife would not have to do Yibum. Miskak nami zakik. So too, also, the brother, right, who's a mamzer, uh, also causes the, right, uh, it causes the bond, the bond of, uh, of Yibum as well. Um, and so I, I think part of what this is trying to tell us here is that, you know, there is this, uh, what has to be true in one case has to be true in the other case. In other words, mamzer is going to affect this going in both ways, whether it's through the child that now you don't have to do yibum or a brother who's a mamzer is eligible to fulfill uh, the mitzvah of yibum itself. So in other words, as long as somebody has any child at all, even if that child is a mamzer, right? then the, the mitzvah of Yibam doesn't exist. Mizakak na mizakak. So therefore also, we're going to say the same thing about the husband's brother. Like Mamzerus has a play in the mitzvah of Yibam, and it works both ways is basically what the Gemara is saying, right? So if the brother is, uh, if, if sorry, if the, uh, the person who dies had a son who's a Mamzer, okay, that's good enough to be considered as a son. And if he has a brother who's a mamzer, that's good enough to be considered somebody who could do yibum. Now, I, I guess the question is, does that person do yibum? Do they do chalitza? It's interesting here. They don't say that they do chalitza. It seems like they actually do yibum and they don't talk about them what the status of that child is. So I don't know the answer to that. Maybe that answer will come up later. But, I, you know, this stuff is interesting because we have some good discussion about sort of two different categories, Gerim and Mamzer is here, and sort of how, uh, you know, and, and how that status affects different halachot, right? With Gerim, Eidos, and Arayos, and with Mamzer, how that status actually affects the, the mitzvah of Yibam. I do just want to take a moment to comment that, you know, these are, along with the question of Aguna in the practical sense of, you know, in modern day times, Issues of conversion and even more so issues of mamzirut are, I would say, the what biggest, most troubling uh, conundrum in conundrums, conundra, in uh, in any world that contends with halacha today. 
So that means the state of Israel, because a lot of these issues are on the forefront of what happens with personal status in the state of Israel, regardless of whether a person is religious. And we could go on and on and on about these, about the topics. I I just want to I raise them as a as a sobering note, I guess, because there has been so much sharding of Masechet Yevamot that it becomes like math or geometry, right, to kind of puzzle out all of the relationships. But having difficulty with Yevamot in terms of the status of women in this Masechet. But these two issues, converts, which applies, both converts and mamzeres, conversion and mamzeres, apply both to men and women. And the halacha does not have easy solutions. So I just put that out there as uh, we acknowledge that and um, food for discussion, food for thought, sometimes food for pain, which is unfortunate, but also it is, it is like, that's what it is. Well, that's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank us, review us on all major podcasts. Thank you to Rabbanit Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadron website. Let us know what you thought about this DAP on our Talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn.